Y'all doing good? So good to be here with y'all today. In uh, the absence of my brother Rick, he told me this morning, he texted me and said he was having a good time. So I said, yep, that's, that's a way to punish me, right? Uh, but no, it's good to be here with you guys today. I'm grateful for, for our partnership in the gospel and, and um, to be able to partner with North Church to see what the Lord is doing here is amazing. Um, I'm grateful for this opportunity to preach in your Ephesians series. What I'll do today is I'm going to read I'm gonna read the passage again, and then I just want to pray, and then we'll get right to it. Is that all right? Again, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift I read Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 7 let's pray today father thank you for this moment that you've given us Lord to worship together as believers God you are the cornerstone. You are, God, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I'm just so delighted, Father, to stand and and present your word to your people. I pray, Father, that you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My strengths and my Redeemer, Lord, you are so amazing. You are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Father, and I just pray that our time today, God, will bend our hearts, focus our eyes on you, God, that we may know exactly, God, who you are, Lord, and that our daily rhythms will be to give you glory in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, as we look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, I would like to, to topic this as making a worthy living, making a worthy living. Now, thinking through um, this text, I began to think about how, how um, the world thinks about worthy living. It, it, it forced me to really think about how the world um, zooms in or how they build worthy living. But when I began to do research, I quickly became broken because every search that I made resulted in ways to make money or even to live your best life now. Well, I'm one of the guys who lean toward the idea that if you live your best life now, then hell is your destination because the only thing good about this life is being in relationship with the Father. But the world will lead you to believe that living your best life now is a life worth living. The most interesting, the most heartbreaking article that I, that I ran across was by this psychologist named Dr. Paul Thaggart um, that said, he, he said in an article that, that evidence from psychology and neuroscience supports that a life worth living inc- includes a mixture of things. He said that a life worth living includes nothing, 
religion, happiness, love, work, and play. I was like, how can nothing be worth living for? How is it that we can say that if, if, if I'm living aimlessly, if I have nothing to shoot for, that actually proves a life worth living? I quickly began to realize that this psychologist was sadly mistaken. This family, this family presents many obstacles for me because at best, this theory by this psychologist, this theory by the world reveals the faulty hearts of people. This, friends, at best reveals that we tend to look for worth in things that we can control instead of looking for worth in the one that who controls us. We look for worth in, in how things go for us. We look for worth in the things that we can put our hands on. But, but I challenge you today to just pause for the cause for just a minute and begin to wrap your mind around not created things, but the one who creates those things. What I want to suggest to you today, North Church, is that no matter what happens around us, if we desire to make a worthy living, then believer, we must live worthy of the call that we've received. You must live worthy of the call that you received. The main point of our sermon today is if we desire to make a worthy living, then we must live worthy of the call that we've received. If you desire to, um, to live a worthy life, right, you have to, you must live worthy of the call that you've received. This call that we've received isn't just any call. It's not just any call. It, it's honestly, if you really begin to think through it, it's the greatest call that you will ever receive. It's a call of salvation. It's a call that says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a call that looks beyond your faults and meets you at your needs. It's a call that looks past your faults. It's a call that says, regardless to whatever life presented to you, regardless to whatever decisions that you make, I still want to be in relationship with you. It's a call that says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He still desires a relationship with us. He's called us into this call of salvation. Isn't it amazing that God looked beyond where we were and called us to himself? He called us to himself. It isn't just some random call. It's a call of salvation. This is a call made, honestly, to every single person in the world. And there's two people in this world, those who answer the call and those who don't. But I desire for you guys here today to be a part of those who answer the call, right? To answer the call, right? Every single person, the call is made, right? Our spiritual phone is ringing, right? But we send the folk to voicemail. We send in Jesus to voicemail. But what happens if he don't leave a message? It's a call to believe in God and his divine son, Christ. It's a call to accept his sacrifice as our payment for sin. It's a call to express our belief by repenting of our sin and being baptized and living a life that's 
pleasing to the Father. That's the call, the call to be saved, the most important message we will ever hear from anyone because it speaks to the condition of our souls and gives us hope for eternity. We have to live according to the call. It's a call on your life, far greater than any call. And that call is a call of salvation. Your response to this call should fuel your entire life. And if we desire to make a worthy living, then believer, we must live worthy of the call that we've received. Listen, all, all of Paul's letters contains a beautiful balance between both doctrine and duty. His, his letters contains this beautiful balance between doctrine, teaching, duty, responsibility, and Ephesians still is a perfect example of that. The first three chapters um, of Ephesians deals with doctrine, our riches in Christ, while these last three chapters begin to explain for us duty, meaning our responsibility in Christ. And here in our text today, the Apostle Paul, of course, writing to the church at Ephesus is helping us to see our duty to walk in a manner worthy of the call. Paul here transitions from doctrine to duty. He transitions from principle to practice. Paul here transitions, if will, from position to behavior. He says, in the first verse, he says, therefore. That statement alone is a powerful one because one thing I always say is that whenever we're reading the scriptures and we see therefore, we got to know what it's there for. What he's saying is because of everything that I said, this should be your response to it. Therefore, because of the doctrine, the instruction, the truth that I've presented to you before, because of everything that I said, I, a prisoner in the Lord, he says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. Because of all this doctrine I taught you, church at Ephesus, you have a responsibility not just to hear what I said, but to actually do it. Interesting thing is this word walk here in this verse is extremely important because it gives us a baseline. This, this word walk gives us a baseline. It gives us uh -uh, uh -uh, a, a foundation to build on. Here, this word walk gives us specific instructions. It is what our instructions are built on. He's here talking about daily living, your conduct, your behavior. So he says, therefore, remember because of the doctrine, the teaching that I've given you, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to behave, to conduct yourself, to live worthy of the calling that you've received. Listen, it does us no good to know doctrine and not live it. We live in a time where folks arguing over doctrine and not applying doctrine. What good does it do us to know what to do and not do it? I want to tell you, if you know what to do and you still don't do it, you don't really know what to do. He says, walk worthy of the calling. He's talking about our daily living and our conduct. See, when you've been called into salvific relationship with Jesus, you, you must walk like it. You must behave like it. Family, there's no way you can really experience Jesus and not change. 
You must walk like it, right? It does us no good to have doctrine without practice. He's saying here, because I've told you to do, because I've told you what to do, I need you to do it. Don't just do it, but walk worthy of the call. He didn't just, he didn't just tell you, he didn't just say, hey, walk, chuck you the deuces and tell you to leave. He didn't just say, man, check your behavior, right? I got to go bounce. I got to go over here and do my thing. He says, what I need you to do is walk worthy. He said, behave like you mean it, right? One thing that really, that, 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 that really has been really getting me lately is that, right, how we live actually speaks to, 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 to what we believe. Right. If, if, if you're going to believe doctrine, if you're going to listen to what's being told you, look, you got to do it. You got to walk worthy of it. This word worthy has the idea of living to match one's position in Christ. If you understand that your position in Christ is victorious, then you got to live like it. You got to live like it. The Apostle Paul urged his readers to be everything the Lord desires and empowers them to be. Do you know that the Lord didn't give you victory for you to act like a loser? The Lord didn't empower you with spiritual strength for you to act physically depleted. He's called you into relationship with him, empowered you by his spirit so that you can be his representative or or as scripture says, his ambassador. We're called to be his ambassadors and he empowers us with his spirit to do it. We've been called to be disciples of Jesus and our behavior, our walk must show it. Listen to this. Our behavior in Christ must match our profession of Christ. To walk worthy means that we ought to live in a way that honors and pleases God. Do do, do a reflection of your life. Does your life show that? Does how you live show that? If we desire to make a worthy living, then believer, we must live worthy of the call that we've received. And what I love about Paul is that he just didn't tell us what to do, but Paul was the man. Like, like Paul was the man, like, like he, was, he was a dope instructor, right? He didn't just tell us what to do, but right here in this text, when he says, live worthy of the call that you received, he gave us steps to do it. Three steps Paul shows right here in this text as to how we ought to live worthy of this call, right? Three ways that we must walk worthy of the call that we've received. Number one, Paul says here, he says, listen, I need you to walk worthy of the call, but what I need you to really do is I need you to maintain character. He says, I need you to maintain character. He says in verses 1 and 2, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. He says, listen, I need you to maintain character. Because, right, we already know that, right, he was writing to the church at Ephesus. We already know that they belong to Jesus. We already know that they believe, right? He said, listen, I need you to maintain the character. You, look, I already talked to you three chapters, three chapters about doctrine. I need you to practice this. I need you to maintain character, right? Character. Character is defined as strength of moral fiber. A.W. Tozer describes character as the excellence of moral beings. 
as the excellence of gold is its purity and the excellence of art is its beauty, so the excellence of man ought to be his character. A person's character, listen to this, a person's character is the sum of his or her dispositions. It's the sum of your thoughts. Your character is the sum of your intentions, the sum of your desires. It's the sum of your actions. It's good to remember that character is gauged. Listen to this. Your character is gauged by your general tendencies, not on the basis of a few isolated actions. Did did you catch that? Right. Your your character isn't gauged. um, Your character is gauged by your gender general tendencies, not on the basis of a few isolated actions, which mean that all of us jacked up for real, for real. Right. We all going to make some bad choices. Right. Especially me. I'll throw myself under the bus since Rick not here for me to throw him under the bus. Right. We all make mistakes, right? But listen, we all must maintain a godly character. It does us no good, right, to have Jesus as an example and not follow him. When you begin to think of the character of Christ, right, he was compassionate, right? He was righteous, right? His his character was impeccable, right? Our character should be that of Jesus, right? And, And listen, we must look at our whole life, right? What, what must this whole life reflect, right? Paul even told us, right? He even, like, like what I love about Paul, right, is that he, he told us what to do, told us how to do it, but then he begins to unpack what he told us so that we ain't have no excuses. He begins to talk about character traits. He, he said, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, right? Here, here's what he's saying in a nutshell, right? He's saying humility produces gentleness, and when these two are partnered together, it produces patience. Did, did y'all catch that? Y'all just missed y'all shout like all the way, right? Here it is. Humility produces gentleness, and when these two are partnered together, it produces patience. Think about it. Humility. Scripture describes humility as meekness or lowliness and absence of self. And this Greek word translated humility here in this text and in places like Colossians 3.12 it, um, and many other places, it literally, literally means lowness, low, lowness of mind. Lowliness of mind. So, so, so we see that humility, watch this, is the attitude of your heart. Humility should be an attitude of your heart. Humility is not something that you do. It ought to be who you are. We ought to be humble. We must have humility. Not, not just this uh, merely an outward demeanor, but humility ought to be the position of the heart. What does this mean? It means that we must kill the pride and selfishness in our own hearts. Humility actually describes for us the character and disposition of Jesus. What I love about humility, right, is Christ that a, does a fantastic job at helping us to really begin to focus our mind on what humility is. And we see, even as Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse Paul, uh, beginning at verse 5, 
Paul says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Watch this. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ had a lowness of mind, knew and understood that his life that he was living was not about him, but it was about bringing glory to his father. And if Christ is our example, then don't you think us as well, we ought to maintain character? He maintained humility. So should we. God, scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility produces gentleness. We say humility produces gentleness. Now, gentleness is also translated meekness. Let me tell you this. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness does not mean weakness. Rather, it involves humility and thankfulness toward God and polite, restrained behavior towards others. Right? I know that, right, we all get stuck in this mindset where we think we can treat people any kind of way. That's not gentleness. You think that you can be rough all the time and just tell people like it is. No, we're not called to do that. We're called to maintain gentleness. Are you gentle? Are you gentle, right? Are you thankful toward God? Are you showing restraint, behavior, and being polite to others? Let me tell you, really, it takes a super-duper strong person to be truly gentle. Because we think that, right, oh, gentleness means that I'm weak. No, it takes strong, Holy Spirit-empowering work for you to really be gentle, especially when folks be acting a monkey and you just want to tell them like it is. You just want to, like, just put it out there. You just want to tell them, like, shut up, right? <laughs> but, but, but you can't. You got to be gentle, right? Human power under human control is a half-broken weapon in the hands of a child, but gentleness places our strength under God's guidance. That's what we got to remember. Humility partnered with gentleness produces patience. I don't know about y'all, but I wish, they I wish they sold patience on a shelf at Walmart. Like, like I would buy cases and cases of it, right? We must be patient when everything is going our way. Let's be honest. When everything is going our way, it's easy to demonstrate patience. If everything was going my way, I didn't need patience. But the fact that I need patience is a reminder that life has nothing at all to do with me. It ain't about me right? Um, the true test of patience comes when our rights are violated, when another, when, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? That's when you got to demonstrate patience, when we are treated unfairly, when our co-worker derides our faith, right? Some people think that they have the right to get upset in the face of irritation and trials, but no, when you desire to make a worthy living, you must have patience. You must practice endurance. Let me tell you, if you really want folk to see Jesus in you, press the pause button on your attitude. Practice patience. Paul is echoing here exactly what he told the church at Galatia. He said in Galatians 5 that you cannot walk, behave, live, conduct yourself according to the flesh. Like you can't do that. But according to the spirit, you must live. He says that the evidence that the spirit in your life, that the spirit is in your life, he said is evident, right? But the fruit of the spirit is, he says, is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Paul, right here in these first few verses, isn't asking the, the, the church at Ephesus to do anything that God isn't already telling them to do. What I love about Paul, man, Paul was very repetitive. The exact same thing he told the Ephesian church is the exact same thing he told the Galatian church. Now, the first Corinthian, that, that Corinthian church, they were just a whole nother pickle, right? They was a whole nother pickle, but, but he was repetitive. He was telling them the same thing. Live according to the spirit so that you won't fulfill the desires of your flesh. Family, we must maintain character. If you desire to make a worthy living, you must live worthy of the call that you've received. And to do so, not only must we maintain godly character, but number two, we must maintain unity. You got to maintain unity. He says in verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now here's the deal. The secret to unity begins with how we view ourselves within the body and how we view others. The key verse that addresses unity, I believe, is Philippians 2, verse 3, where Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Here's the deal. All disunity in a church can be traced back to the simple truth that too often we act selfish and consider ourselves better than others. I knew I wouldn't get an amen for that because that ain't something we admit, right? Paul goes on to explain further in the verse, right, in, 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 in uh, Philippians 2. He says, each of you should look not only in your own interest, but also the interests of others. And sadly, right, churches that experience disunity or in conflict and turmoil are generally filled with people looking to fulfill their own needs. It usually comes from somebody who wants what they want when they want it. As a matter of fact, James said in James 4, he says, why do you fight and quarrel? Is it because of your own selfish desires? The, what causes disunity is because we want our way. Think about any argument that you've ever had. Any disagreement that you've ever had with anybody is normally because you can't have your way. All he got to do is see it my way. All she got to do is see it my way and the world will be better. How about you see it their way and make the world better? Right? Christ was, was willing to give his life to make the world better. And you can't give up your idea. You can't give up your mindset. No, we have to pursue unity. Right? We got to pursue unity. It's unity. Coming together. Right? is something that we're called to do. And I'm going to tell you, right, as long as we're pursuing our own ambitions, as long as we're causing disunity, let me tell you, that kind of behavior is the characteristic of an unbeliever, not those who have the mind of Christ. Worldliness, not godliness, is the hallmark of a disunified church. And Paul reminded the Corinthians, he said, for you are yet carnal, for in that there is among you envyings and strife and division. Are you not carnal and do you not walk according to men? 
Even in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul compares the body of Christ with the human body. He notes that every part of, uh, every part of it um, is equal importance and must work together in harmony for success. For the church to achieve, to achieve true biblical unity, here's the thing, they must share beliefs, we must share actions, we must not think like ourselves, but we must have the mind of Christ. Only when every member is actively involved in unity can that be achieved. If we desire to make a worthy living, then believe it, we must live worthy of this call that we've received. And I'm going to tell you, we must maintain unity. What I want you to see, I'm almost done. Here it is. God has called us into a marvelous and incomparable relationship with him. And we must ensure that we're doing what's necessary to walk worthy of that amazing call. When we think through God's call, like, when, like today, when we think through God's call, we tend to think God calling me to preach. God calling me to missions. God is calling me to full-time ministry. God is calling me, right, uh-uh, to do something in many ways that will feed the part of us. And I'm going to tell you, right, all of those things kept in its proper perspective, being burdened to serve in all those areas are amazing things. But I want you to understand that the greatest burden, the greatest call in the life of a genuinely converted blood-bought believer is a call to salvation. The greatest burden, the greatest call on the life of a believer is into relationship with God. And the thing is, we must walk worthy of that call that we receive. We must maintain godly character. We must maintain unity. And the last thing he tells us here that we must maintain, if we desire to live worthy of this call that we received, he said, listen, you got to maintain hope. You must maintain hope. He says, verses 4 through 6, here it is. He said, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul here lists the particular areas of oneness or unity. Body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism in God and Father. He focuses here on the triunity of God, the, the trinity, right? The, he, the spirit in verse 4, the son in verse 5, and the father in verse 6. He points, uh, uh, his point is not to distinguish between the persons of the Godhead, but to emphasize that although they have unique roles, they are completely unified in every aspect of divine nature and plan. Wow. They are like like God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit together walks in unity to conform the hearts of broken people to look more like Jesus. If that ain't a great description of unity, I don't know what it is, but, but what's amazing North Church is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit walks together in unity whereby those of us who were lost, now we have hope. And we must maintain that hope. Although each member, right, of the Godhead has a unique role, they are unified in every aspect of the God's divine nature and plan. That's where our hope lies. 
Let me tell you, when you think about God's call over your life and when you think about the gospel and the implications of the good news of Jesus' coming to provide forgiveness of sin for all who believe, that's where your hope lies. And the gospel does not only give you hope for tomorrow, but it also gives you peace for today. And you must walk in that. See, biblical hope, y'all, carries no doubt. It carries no doubt. Hope is a confident expectation that God is going to do just what he said. Biblical hope is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives, believing that God will always keep his promises. Anybody else excited that we serve a God who will keep his promises? Right? Hope, right? Hope or, or confident assurance can be ours when we trust in the words of Jesus. Jesus said, he who believes on me has everlasting life. Our hope lies in what Jesus said, not in what this world presents. Accepting the gift of eternal life means our hope is no longer filled with doubt, but rather has at its sure foundation the entirety of God's word, the entirety of God's character. And here it is, hope has in it the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Our call, family, is to live in relationship with Christ. Maintaining godly character, living in relationship with one another, being, being unified, and we got to maintain our hope. Because God the Father worked through God the Son who gave his life as a ransom for us all and through his working, through God the Spirit, we're able to experience new life. Here it is. Making a worthy living has nothing at all to do with money, but everything to do with walking worthy of the call that we received from God. Walk worthy of the calling you received, and that alone will bring glory to the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, as we think through your work, as we think through the many ways you've made, God, we pray. And we thank you, Father, for empowering us with your spirit, whereby we can pursue unity, whereby, Lord, our hope lies. Thank you for God, for your son being the epitome of character. And I pray that we will follow that. Lord, that you will touch our hearts and minds. That even today, that our aim will be to live like you. Father, you are so wonderful. You are amazing. You are holy. Lord, you are perfect and you are just. And we just pray that we will never forget that. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for trusting us to be in relationship with you. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen.